I don't have the number memorized. It's on the, on the sheet. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll be beginning at verse 1. Let's listen together as we hear and read God's word. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres oppose Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, Their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have been convinced of, because you know those from whom you have learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God add his blessing to his word to us today. Let's pray together. Lord, we are weak. So take your life-giving word and use it to make us strong. Use us, use it to make us more holy. Use us to make us more like you. Meet the needs of your people here. Spirit of God, you know what we need to ponder, to consider. We need you to transform us, so we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Times are bad. You've probably heard this commentary. The children now love luxury. They have bad manners. They contempt authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. They're tyrants, not servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up dainties at the table. They cross their legs and tyrannize their teachers. Plato attributed that to Socrates, who lived in 400 B.C., (laughs) Walter Liefeld said of these first five verses in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that, uh, let me quote him exactly, they can compete for one of the most pessimistic descriptions (laughs) in print. And it's really true if you think about it. 
Lovers of themselves, he says, they've been strutting around for years and years in every culture and all levels of society. So bad as I want to be and having it my way may be now acceptable public declarations, but they're absolutely nothing new that's never been said before. <laughs> it's the age-old things that have been going on and going on. Paul was in a really difficult spot. He's in prison. He's isolated. He's feeling deserted by friends. He's facing execution. And we may think, well, no wonder he wrote how bad times were. I mean, you know, the glass was looking less than half empty. It was near empty. Maybe he felt it was empty. But we understand that it was more than just Paul feeling depressed. God, the Holy Spirit, was having him write this to Timothy but he was having the Holy Spirit write it down for you and me and all this, the saints through the ages so that we would be prepared for difficult, terrible times. So that Timothy and we could be well in our spiritual life with God. You know, Timothy was serving in Ephesus as a pastor, evangelist, teacher, something like that. And he was facing persecution now. He had faced that before, but now it was a national thing. It was the empire of Rome was now going to begin persecuting Christians. So it was a bad time to be a believer. It was going to be hard. False teachers are drawing people away and ruining their faith. Friends of his were deserting the ministry. And Timothy was probably wondering, what am I to do? What should we do when we face terrible times? And by the way, what do you do when you face difficult times? When, when your faith seems to be weak and you know it and you're not nurturing it, that you don't really care. You kind of are off on your own. Or what do you do when you're being tempted to be pulled away from Christ? To give up on the church and ministry. To just hang it up. I've been there. Paul helps us out. Here it is. Terrible times, but he gives us counsel, gives Timothy counsel, us counsel, so that we hold on in faithfulness to Christ. So faithful to Christ during the last days. What are the last days? Are we in the last days? Well, it's referring to the time uh, between Christ's resurrection and his return. So yes, we are in the last days. And some of those days are going to be worse than others. Some days are pretty easier times than others. But it's going to progress and get worse. And can I say this? The last days of the last days will be the worst of all. Terrible means hard to bear, troublesome, dangerous. It's a word used to describe, if you're familiar with the story, the demoniacs in the tombs, in the graves, or running around unclothed, and they were scary people. That's the description here. It's going to be terrible times, dangerous times, and troublesome times, and Timothy, we're in those times. What makes the time so terrible? Well, I won't read it again, but we just read the description, verses uh, 1 through 5. Lovers of themselves, it's because of people's bad attitudes and their behavior. That's what makes the times terrible. That's why you're feeling the times are terrible now. Because the way things are going, I mean, it's, you know, the school shootings are getting sickening, aren't they? But understand the heart, the things that are driving people to do that. It was never a concern of mine in my whole life. And now I worry who might run down the aisle here while I'm up here. 
I'm going to throw this at him. Would you throw your hymnals at him if that ever happens? Isn't it terrible that we have to ponder it? I know it's in the back of your mind because it's in the back of my mind. But understand that we can stand firm. But it's, it's the behavior that leads the lover of them, loving themselves and lovers of money. That leads to pride and boasting and abusing others to get what they want. It's being disobedient to parents. It's just a mark of not liking authority. And if you're not doing it in the home, the basic uh, family unit where we love one another, and if there's disobedience there, then you know it's going to get worse in other places in society. There's four uns. <laughs> They're ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving. They're prone to slander, falsely accusing. And then there's three more uns. They're, there's, there's no self-control. They don't have strength. They're, they're brutal. They're not tame. They're like wild beasts. There's no love for good. They can love family. They can love money. They can love themselves, but they don't like good. Boy, that's terrible times when people love evil rather than good. Lovers of pleasure not lovers of God. That's idolatry. I'm just thinking of my own guilt, but I need to move on. Plus one, having a form of godliness, that's religious talk, ritual, clean appearance of life, but denying its power. God is not in them. I want to take a moment, if you're familiar with it, to John chapter 3. Because having a form of godliness, but not having the power of God in you was the issue that Nicodemus had. And Jesus confronted Nicodemus, who came to him in the night. In John, John's gospel, chapter 3, verse 3, it's, or excuse me, verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. So Nicodemus had an appearance of godliness, but he did not have God living in him. Some of the churches in the book of Revelations, chapter 2 and 3, we don't have time to look at those again, but if you're familiar again with those churches, a lot of them appeared to be godly, but Jesus' assessment was that they were very far from him or getting close to being ungodly. Salvation, D.A. Carson says, includes regeneration, new birth, the spirit of God empowering and transforming our life. Through faith, the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit opens up our eyes to believe, gives us faith, and then he gives us eternal life. And then he begins to transform us, and it's a work of God. It's received when we believe that Jesus is the Savior, when we believe when we believe that, we're declared, we're just declared to be justified, to be righteous, but there's more to it than just being declared righteous. Now we begin to live righteously because the Spirit of God is in us, giving us life to follow God. 
Leslie, I apologize. I always joke about this. But we vocational people, we're good. But, you know, it's really dangerous. We're, we act good because we get paid to be good. And the rest of you are good for nothing. <laughs> good, they laughed, okay? But it's a real danger in my life. To begin to act godly because it's expected of me, not because I want to, but because I have to, because it's my paycheck. Maybe it's not your paycheck, but it's that reputation that you have in this body or with the other believers, and, and you act like you're okay and you're not. It's a very dangerous place to be. Jesus goes on, how do we get the Spirit of God in us? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Have you stepped into the light? Here I am. And you're exposed. The Spirit of God might be asking you to step into the light today. Maybe you've never done it. Maybe you've been playing godly. You've only had the form. But no power of life in you. I dare you, implore you, step into the light. Because those who love the truth will step into the light and be freed. And those of us who already have stepped into the light, Step into it again. Do you understand what I mean by that? Daily step into that light and say, God, expose me. Let me be honest with you. And then honest with one another so that we can help one another on in the faith. I need to get moving. <laughs> have nothing to do with those kind of people, Timothy, that have a form of godliness, have all the light, right language. They wear sports coats and they speak from the platform but they don't have the life of God in them, have nothing to do with them. I don't have time to look at it today, but I'm sorry, but 1 Corinthians 5 says, you know, the kind of people we're not supposed to hang around are the ones who act ungodly that are in the church. Please don't separate yourself from the immoral, sexually immoral people and the liars, the cheaters, the idolaters out in the world. You got to rub shoulders with those people. But separate from people who are in the church, Timothy, and that's what Jesus told us to do as well, and Paul did in 1 Corinthians. Terrible times. People are going to be around you in your life that are terrible. So make a note of it. Put it on a, a paste-it note and put it on your refrigerator. Terrible times are here. But God has given me the power and the ability to stand firm through faith in Christ. 
And when that true gospel, the Spirit of God, touches your life, your mind's going to think differently. You found that to be true, right? Because now you feel guilty when you sin, and you used to not feel so guilty. And it begins to change not only the way you think, your mind, but your heart begins to love the things that God loves, and then it begins to affect the way you speak, because out of the heart comes your thoughts, and the thoughts of God begin to come out, and then as we surrender to him and follow the Spirit, our lives, our attitudes and actions begin to change. Faithful to Christ, just be aware of the terrible times that are coming. Faithful to Christ by following godly mentors. Paul compares himself in verse 10 to these false teachers. And he mentions Janus and Jambres, and we can add Kor because we talked about him last week. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, and what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. So Paul's comparing himself to these false teachers, and he says, you know, Timothy, am I the real deal? Am I truly an apostle? Am I a real Christian? Well, you know my life, and you know what I've done. And that word knowing there is you've investigated it. It's a word Luke used in his gospel when he said, I've investigated this stuff carefully, what you've heard about Jesus, Theophilus. So I've done careful investigation. Investigate my life, excuse me, and see if I'm the real deal. Get attached to godly mentors. Not perfect people, but those who know Christ and whose teaching and conversations and how they live shows a faithful consistency. In 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 2, Paul said this. As an apostle of Christ, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, the good news of salvation, can I just put that in there, the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil, our hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believe. For you know that we dealt with you each as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. Actions and attitudes behind Paul's ministry. Did you get a picture of that? Sharing the gospel. We used to be so good at telling people how to get saved, but we forgot to share with them our lives, to let them come into our homes and see, see us get mad. And then ask forgiveness of our kids or our wife when we did that. To, to see life and God transforming us. So get attached to other believers who are striving by God's grace to share the gospel. To share their lives. And to let you see their struggles and their failures and their victories. Because it's God's power at work within us. Faithful to Christ. 
So be aware of the difficult times that are coming. Be aware that there's going to be false teachers. Be aware that you need to hitch your wagon. Boy, that's an old expression. To the right team of horses. To someone who's godly, who maybe doesn't have it all together, but on the way, trying to grow. Attach yourself to them and then be someone worth imitating. Are you, is there anything in your life worth imitating? in following Christ. There should be, and there can be, because of the grace he's given us. Faithful to Christ, don't be naive about evil. Look at verse 12 with me. After Paul talks about all the persecutions and his suffering and how he's ministered the gospel, he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't be naive about evil. Do you understand that humankind doesn't really want to follow Christ in general? Just read Psalm 2 sometime. But humanity is made in, in God's image, so we have this deep desire being made in God's image to seek justice and peace, and, and we do want to love. We just don't ever get it right. <laughs> we fail, and, and you'd, you'd think by now humanity would say, you know, I think maybe I really hope there is a God because we need your help. <laughs> we haven't gotten it right. Remember, World War I was called the Great War because it was supposed to be the last war. And then 20 years later, there was another one. And it was worse. It was a greater war, a worse or greater war. And they've been going on and on through the centuries. We haven't gotten it right. And the gospel of God can overpower evil. So don't give up hope. But I want to ask you a question today. Are you living a godly life? And if you are, then how come you're not suffering at least some ridicule for it? Some pushback for it? Because Paul says if you're going to live a godly life, really follow Jesus, then somebody's not going to like you. Let me tell you this, folks. We have this dream and I have this dream about changing Havertown. The God's gospel is going to have great effect. And you know what? If we sacrifice the way Paul sacrificed, then no wonder the Thessalonians were willing to suffer if they had a mentor like Paul who was willing to love them and to sacrifice and share his life so much so that they could hear the gospel and be saved. So when we do that, there's going to be great things happen. There are going to be people who are so lost People that we would write off that could never, ever be saved. You know, the really bad people. Maybe they're going to be touched by the gospel because of us going out. But be aware that it's all not going to be happy. There's going to be pushback from somebody. Paul never got in trouble for breaking a city ordinance 
or Roman law, as far as I know from the scripture text. But you know what he got in trouble for? For preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ died for mankind's sins, that he was buried and took their sins away, was raised again, making him Lord of all. He got in trouble when he preached that and somebody believed it. Because they quit going to the temple to worship false gods, or they quit going to the synagogue, or they quit buying idols and they affected the economy of the town. They didn't frequent the bars anymore, so to speak, because their lives were changed. They weren't chasing and being immoral and doing the things that kept the world going. That's what got them in trouble. So when we shut down because the gospel of Christ has spread, understand there's going to be pushback. Are you ready for that? Are you going to be willing to take it because you believe this word changes people? Faithful to Christ by holding on to the word of God. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those whom you've learned it and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible's source is God. Peter says this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Peter's talking about the transfiguration of Christ. Jesus was on the mountain praying and God the Father came in a cloud and and Jesus appeared in all his glory and Peter, James, and John, Peter's talking about that event, saw this glorious vision of Christ and God the Father spoke and said, this is my son, I'm really pleased with him. And notice what, and that's an amazing experience, I'm sure, that uh, that was a life-changing experience for Peter, but look at what he says in verse 19, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. So what Peter's saying is, you maybe didn't see Jesus in all his glory, I got to do that, but you have something that's even more sure than my vision, than my great experience. You have the word of God. And it's useful for everything we need in serving him. It moves us from sinners to saints because it believes us. And Timothy believed in God's word and it saved him. And by the way, that wasn't John 3.16. That was Old Testament stuff that he understood and knew and moved him and changed him. And it thoroughly equips us for every good work. Know the word of God. It's really good to know the word of God. But that's not enough. Its purpose is to change who we are. What are some of the good works that God wants us to do? We fly over that. I do all the time. 
what's a good work that Jesus wants you to do? What are the good works that the word of God prepares us to do? Love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Pastor David a while ago went through so many of the one another's. We need to do so many of the one another's outside the walls of this church. Are there any good works that we need to invest more energy in as a congregation? Have we asked God lately to open up our eyes to the fields that are white for harvest because we're overlooking them the way the disciples overlooked the Samaritans because they were Samaritans? Caring for the widow and the orphan, the needy who need assistance, the lost sheep, the prodigals who wander off, who need rescued, the sheep without a shepherd that Jesus had compassion on and fed. When God's word is taking root in my life and truly taking root in my life, I will allow it to move me to more kindly sacrificial actions when I see my neighbor in need, like the good Samaritan, like a good approved worker who handles God's word well because he not only knows it, but he lives it. Do you know John 3.16? A lot of you could say it from memory. Has it made you wise for salvation? I hope so. And have you allowed John 3.16 to equip you for good works? How does John 3.16 equip me for good works? Well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he did what? You, you, You know it. He gave his only son. Check this out. 1 John 3.16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But you know what? The, who those brothers and sisters are? They aren't necessarily just us here. They're the brothers and sisters that Paul sacrificed his life for who were not yet saved but will be saved when we go out and preach the gospel in our words and in our actions and in our attitudes and in our living. Some will come because of us, because God's working through us. It's all about Jesus living in us and through us. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So what is God calling us to do, people known as Christ's disciples here at Grace Chapel, to demonstrate to the people of Havertown that we are willing to sacrifice whatever it takes so that they can hear and believe the gospel? You know what I don't like about what I just said? It's very convicting. What have we done, Grace Chapel youth? Director of Youth Ministries, lately for the youth of our area to show them that we love them so much that we will share our lives with them. Give of what we have for them so that they can come to know the Savior who loves them and cares for them and will rescue them from hell and take them to glory. What have we done of late? Maybe you've been better than me. But that's the challenge, isn't it? And this word 
that gives life, that's God-breathed, that has the very life of the Spirit of God in it that makes us new. That's a mystery to me, that these words of God give people life when they hear them, when they see them being acted out. No wonder Paul tells us to preach this gospel, to preach the word in season and out of season because it's so powerful. And I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to go there today. There's another point on the outline, but my time's done. I was more optimistic on Tuesday than it was on Friday about getting done. So here we are, essentials for Christ's disciples. Here are truths for us to help us hold on to God and to pass on his truth. Told to us, it's going to get tough. So hang in there. Because you know it's going to be tough. So hang on to godly mentors. Don't be naive about the world, about evil in the world, because some people are going to believe a lot are going to hate. Hold on to God's word because it brings salvation to people who receive it. We are Christ's beloved ones. The people God has chosen to pour his grace on, onto us and into us so lavishly. And he wants us to pour it lavishly on others. Let's pray. Lord God, take your words and use it in a mighty way, we pray, to change us and to mold us and to shape us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Men, would you come forward as we prepare to, to take communion together?